Three. We got one back here. Didn't know if he was escaping or staying. <laughs> is on his way to Colorado, so I hear he made it part of the way. Kansas, okay. Oof. I don't admire him. I'm not much on driving, so. All right. Um, this morning, um, <clears throat> do something a little bit interesting, but let's, let's have a word of prayer first, and maybe that'll calm down out there a little bit. Father, we come before you, Lord, just asking for your help this morning to, uh, uh, to teach your word, to help us understand it better, and uh, help the little ones in the back there as they struggle through the morning, and, um, and just uh, help the teachers back there to teach, and that uh, they would reach the children's hearts, Lord, with the word of God, and that they uh, uh, would follow Lord's leading in their life, and uh, do pray for the salvation of the children of the church. <clears throat> we look forward to that day when they accept Christ and, and we can baptize them. And, and uh, Lord, we, we look for that. We need that. And um, so, Father, we just uh, ask for that. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to start out with a couple of statements this morning. Um, Let's make a statement that teachers are boring. I'm warning you. <laughs> um, Abby is a teacher, therefore Abby is boring. Okay, There's, I'm teaching some logic here, okay. Um, let's see, John and I leave to work at by 6.40. And we always make it to work at 7.30. <laughs> She's laughing because John's always saying, I'm five behind, I call him five behind John. <laughs> I'm five behind, I'm 10 behind. Uh, John's not your morning person. Uh, but there's a couple things wrong with those statements, isn't there? Yeah, uh, they're not based on, on absolutes. Now, we can change the wording of those statements, can't we? We can say, um, many teachers are boring, or some teachers are boring. Um, Abby's a teacher, but she's not boring. You know? uh, we could say, when we leave at 640, when we leave at 640, we make it to work at by 7.30 as long as there's no traffic, there's no detours, blah, 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 blah. Um, but let me give you some, some other thoughts. I'm just warming you up here a little bit. So, you guys like math, don't you? Oh, I'm sure. This math... One plus one equals, see how sharp you are today, two, okay? Therefore, oh, it's going to get harder now, 
2 minus 1 equals what? Well, let's see, you guys like math. All right. Or we can get into some geometry. Uh-huh. And so we can say a squared plus b squared equals c squared. All right. And that's referring to a right triangle. If we say this side is 3 and this side is 4, if we square that, that's 16. We square this, that's 9. 16 plus 9 is 25. So we know that the length of this would be the square of 25, which is 5. Okay? Comes in handy sometimes. All right. So now these are based on absolutes. They just work all the time. Um, in the Bible, there's, there's certain things that are absolutes. Um, and the way God does things, we can, we can work off of absolutes. It's really important, actually. Um, but there's also some things that are not, they're absolute in a general way. Um, I've heard the book of Proverbs say, you know, that these are general prin principles <clears throat> when followed in a general way have a general result, okay? Um, and we know that because we can look at some of these things. They're not like this absolute, if you do this, then this, and that will happen. It's not like a math equation. But we also know that God is, what I see with God in that he, he'll never let you corner him to tell him what he's going to do next. He has the ability to do what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, but he does work logically. Now, the reason I've kind of went through this, uh, where's our, we have an eraser, is because I was looking back at some notes of, I'd taken a survey of the class and some things they wanted to understand or learn, and, and, and probably the one, and I don't know who was, but maybe not here, but they wanted to, a question came up, they'd like to under, they have a difficult time understanding Paul. Okay? And so, one of the big things to understand about Paul is Paul is very logical. He's always producing logic. I wouldn't say always, but that's just the way he is. You've got to understand Paul was a Pharisee. He probably knew the law. Okay, He knew how to exact the law. Um, probably enjoyed lawyers and, and, and things of the law. His dad was a Pharisee because he said he was a son of a Pharisee. And um, so Paul naturally just has this logical mind. I'm a lot like Paul, I think a lot in those ways. Um, now, ladies tend to be not so much logical. <laughs> or they don't like logic as much. 
And if you remember, when there's two books of the Bible that if we're going to evangelize with to somebody who doesn't know much about the Word of God, we give them the book of John and we give them the book of Romans. And the book of John uh, deals a lot with love and, and, and being able to know how to be, be saved presents God in a, and Jesus is in, a, in, a, in a loving manner and understanding, you know, and in feelings things which is very important. And Paul, uh, in the book of Romans, deals th with things very logically. Because a lot of people need to see, you know, the human world, They're, they think logically. And there's a reason for that. You know, God made us that way. And God is a logical God in many ways. So what I want to do is, if you'd open up your Bibles to the book of Romans, we're going to start there. We're going to go through a few chapters, and we're going to look at some of Paul and his writings in the book of Romans. And we're going to see uh, where his logic comes in. So it's a good way to look at Paul's writings and look at them from a logical standpoint. So who we got here? <laughs> Annie, maybe? Go back that way? Okay. All right. Hmm. Shows our human nature. <laughs> All right. So, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And, and, and we're going to find the first chapter of Romans kind of is a, is a build-up. Okay? And logic. He's building all these things up. And so if, if you study Paul's writings, look for logic that will help you to understand what he's, what he's coming from. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also called of Jesus Christ." To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is all about establishing the Lord Jesus Christ to who He is. He is the center of everything. And then in verse 8 he says, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, for whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. That's a big statement, you know. we got to think about, about that. I, I kind of stopped when I heard that. You know, can we truly say it? A lot of times we say, we've been praying for you, you know. And, and you get a lot. You know, but Paul saying, I'm always thinking. Just think of his prayer life. He, he had these people in prayer. I make mention of you always 
in my prayers. Making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was led hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. In verse 16, there's a, uh, and I'll emphasize a certain phrase here because it's going to come up a few times as, as we look through this uh, book. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So you've got everyone. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now this is a statement, this is like, this is an unchangeable, this is a fact that he's going to rest things on. To everyone, it's to everyone, but there's an order. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So he, he's kind of going to state this, this is how this is. For therein is the righteousness of God... Revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So I kind of want to stop on those two phrases because that's an important phrase we're going to see here later. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in what? Unrighteousness. There's a whole group of people, that religious people, if that's all they are is religious, they hold the truth in unrighteousness. Okay? Because that which may be known of God says, is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the nature, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working with that which is unseemly, 
and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which, it, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So Paul goes through, and he gets through his initial parts here, and he begins to describe the unrighteous people. And unrighteousness just is very simply, if you don't acknowledge God for who God is, um, if you don't trust Christ as your Savior, you're living in unrighteousness. You can, you, you can do all sorts of good things, but we'll see like a breaking down of this. Uh, it says, but they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful. Here's things that you find in people, and we need to be careful of. Uh, do we glorify God in the things that we do like we should? Are we thankful like we should? Do we become vain in our imaginations? But then it says, in their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. There's a concern of, of mine, and I just pray that none of the children in our families will ever go down this path. But more and more, I get children of Christian families who have just gone off the deep end. We need to be careful. You may have some talented children, and you will, <laughs> in certain ways. Um, they may be athletic, but they can get so involved in that that they lose sight of things. You could be really smart, just very intelligent, and you can lose sight of that. You know, when we were talking about Job last week, Job is very interesting to read about him He saw himself for who he was in those areas. He never really like, lifted himself up in those ways as, as he was saying. He's seen what God, uh, what God gave him and what he, what he did. Now, he, he did look at things of, he didn't understand why God would bring things upon him like he did because he knew he was doing the things that were right. And that was, that was a difficult thing for him. But... It says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And I've seen kids who have gotten pretty smart and think they're pretty smart, and they start to go out in a direction. Um, I was talking with Mike Tripp. Of course, I uh, was over their house uh, when the baby was being born, and 
he has a he has a young man in his church who's he says he really studies the word of God, but he's really like getting off into into strange things because he's getting pretty like he's getting to know a lot, and so he's really working hard at uh, you know kind of breaking him back down to get him back down where he needs to be, you know, because we're all all the same. There's nobody greater than anybody else, and so you know there's some difficulties, and I've. Uh, there was somebody who you would know, I'll talk to you later about, I don't think it's a place in church to talk about, who was a very smart man who seemed to be, he was going to dedicate his life to the Lord and do things, but he's gone away, just totally away. He's into himself, you might only say, in his thinking, professing himself to be wise. And you would think, how could that ever happen? I'll tell you what. As I thought about that, if I have one of your children in here, I need to have the guts to set them straight, maybe. To rebuke them, to put them down where they need to be in the Lord, lest they fall away. So you see this falling away that uh, Paul is saying, and, and, and you see the degradation. You see a degradation thing. It just keeps going down and down. It gets uglier and uglier, nastier and nastier. And then in Romans chapter 2, the phone comes on. <laughs> You're fine. Romans chapter 2, now we're getting to where he's going to do some logic. He says, therefore, he says all these things, thou art inexcusable, O man. Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. So you can be a religious person, and you can be doing all sorts of good things and right things, but you can be unrighteous. You haven't trusted Christ. You, haven't, you don't know where you stand with God. And you can judge these hoodlums and, uh, you know, however you want to say it, you know. Um, who's, who's doing wrong and you're judges, but you're judging yourself because you're unrighteous in itself. You see, uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get over to you is, is how Paul is being logical, always being logical. You've got to grab a hold of that to, to help understand what he's saying. Verse 2, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit... Such things. Now, Paul's going to bring in some things. He is, he, he is not going into uh, by what your mouth you say, you say you're saved, because the fellow that I was just talking about, boy, he had a testimony. But he's going to get into how works really fall into this, how this really shows really where you are. See, you can't, you can't live the Christian life without being saved. You will fall at some point. Point. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, knowing not that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? We know that verse, don't we? Now we see where that's inserted there. 
the goodness of God leadeth to you. But we see, you see Him, you know Him. I mean, that's enough to send anybody to hell. It says, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, here's something that you got to pick up on Paul. He's talking about wrath. You have saved and unsaved. He's clearly showing these two, as you'll see. But he's also kind of doing some, some math here, if you, if you think about it in this way. He says the unsaved are gathering up the wrath of God. You see, Jesus, He died for all, didn't He? Yes or no? There is a doctrine that is teaches that there's limited atonement. That Christ's blood only shed enough blood for those who would be saved. In that case, there's no wrath build up. So if you could kind of follow, and this is getting a little deep, maybe it's a little uncomfortable for you. <laughs> but if you think about it, it makes sense. It's, lo it's logical. When Christ, and it, we've seen where he died for all. I mean, even Paul mentions this early on for all. But those who are unsaved are building up the wrath of God, which is going to be poured out upon this world. Because, if you think about it, Jesus' blood was for all sin. The saved, we will not experience His wrath. Okay, that was his choice, so we wouldn't have to do that. But those who would refuse him, that have no excuse. You know, we want to think, well, there's somebody that probably has never heard. And, you know, and surely God wouldn't. No, it says they've heard. They understand. They rejected him. Why did God kill all the, the ones in, uh, you know, had uh, Israel go and conquer the land in Canaan? You know, all the... That doesn't seem right. No, they knew. And He gave them time, ample time. So His blood is enough to save those who won't accept it. That will be poured out in wrath upon them. It will balance out. It will equal out. One plus one equals two. All through Paul, you're going to see that kind of thinking. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. And then he gives two classes of people here. To them who by patient continuance and do, or contentious, uh, patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. That's the saved. That's what he's talking about. The saved people. He says, but to them who are contentious 
and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, and also unto the Gentile. There's going to be an order there. And Paul locks on to that. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. But there's no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall all perish, also perish without the law. And as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Here's this going back and forth. It's just logic that he's using here. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile excusing or else excusing one another, accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. It says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest His will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. He's saying, you know, here's all the advantages of a Jew, and that's why the Jew first, to much given much is, required, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou, therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? At that man preachest a man should not steal, does thou steal? And thou sayest a man should not commit adultery, does thou commit adultery? That thou abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? That thou makest thy boast of the law, though through breaking the law, Dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blaspheme among gent the Gentiles through you, as it is written, for circumcision verily, prof verily profiteth. But if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, the, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Now, I know that's a lot of words and it's going back and forth and you can get kind of like tired. What is he saying here? He's just balancing things out. And he says, And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew. Listen to what he's saying here which is one outwardly. He's kind of coming to a conclusion. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. He's showing here where in the thought of it, of being God's people who was the Jews, okay, 
that through belief and, and obedience unto God, that we, as Gentiles, are, are just as much a part of God as in what he calls as a Jew as well. You know, in one sense, we're Jewish as far as God's people goes, as far as being his, his people. And it's not with circumcision, it's not with the law. And he's saying, if you're living, you know, and he's just going back and forth and saying, well, here's the, where the real matter is. And then in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, he says, What advantage then hath the Jew? He's basically, you know, he's coming to these conclusions, getting you thinking. He works up here. So if it doesn't matter if you're Jew or not Jew, you know, God justifies by your heart, by your love for him, by your trust in Jesus Christ. And that's where your righteousness is. And it really doesn't matter. He says, What advantage then has the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, he gives the conclusion, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The oracles of God, the Word of God. They were able to, they had scribes. That we've got our Word because the Jews kept that written. That was a job that they were given. That, he says that's mainly the big difference in this day of Christ. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? He's just going through logic. This is the big thing that I want you to, to understand as you read any writings of Paul that he's got a logical mind and a logical approach. That's why we were talking about the book of Hebrews. That's why people a lot of times look at book of Hebrews, though it's not said that Paul may have been the one who wrote it because you kind of see this style of, of writing. Verse 7, For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we slanderously reported, and some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come whose damnation is just. You can't live in sin, you know. And he says that some people are claiming that, and you know, and, and trust that you're saved. What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise. For we have before both proved Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, here's the verse that we, we have. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God, they are all gone out of the way, they are all together become unprofitable, there is none that doeth good, no, not one, their throat is an open sepulcher, with their tongues they have used deceit, the poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, 
Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now here's something that will help you. If you want to love people, you need to see you in them. You know, I've had some people who just get all over somebody who's cursing. And cursing's not good. And, and we need to move that away from us as far as we can. But I'll tell you what, I was raised a cursor. I was a cursor. I understand the cursor. The cursor needs Christ to overcome that in his life. You know, and, you, and you're in the flesh, folks. And you know you struggle with some of the same old sins that you've had in the past. You're no better than anybody else. They're saved and they're unsaved. And so rather than just shove people out, see yourself in them and just have a desire that they might be saved. We'll read the rest of the chapter here. Now we know that whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. And here's the reason. Here's the logic. He's telling you, here's the whole reason. Oh man, and this is so good. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Do you understand how important that verse is right there? This is so good. God is so smart. The best of person is guilty. The law condemns everyone because you know what? In order to come to Christ, you've got to come to that point. You're guilty. There's no hope for you. And God brings everybody to that point because that's the only point whereby you can get saved, where you know that you are guilty. And he brought the law in. Not that you could keep the law, but that the law might condemn you to bring you to the foot of the cross. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God. Now here he brings it in. Here's where salvation is. It's not in you. It's in Jesus Christ's righteousness. Unto all upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's your 623 verse. Being, then ju- being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in you, that is in Christ Jesus. We need to take people to Christ. We need to let people see that there's no hope, that they've all sinned, that they're guilty before God, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude. Here He comes. He's doing His math. Now here's the conclusion. That a man is justified by faith 
without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith. Talking about the Jews. And uncircumcision, talking about the Gentiles, through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. And saying, so okay, we're by grace, so we don't have to live by the laws no good anymore. It's not useful. He says, no, God forbid. We established the law. Those were all good things to do. And so you see, as we go through here, um, how Paul is just logically working through things. And that'll help you to understand his writing and understand where he's coming to conclusions. And it's a very important part. We talk about putting puzzles together and techniques and things. When you understand logic, it helps put some things together. Um, all right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning as we study Paul, not as much as what he's saying, how he says things, so that we can better understand uh, his logic and his reasoning, and that we can appreciate it, that we can use it to understand your word better and more clear, and to know uh, correct doctrine and to reject wrong doctrine uh, due to it's failing in its logic. And so, Father, we just ask you to bless each family this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.